Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Idiot Book Nook podcast, and book club I guess at this point. We are doing The Amulet of Samarkand, which is book one of the Bartimaeus trilogy. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, and my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so by following the Reading Dragon at uh, Linktree, sorry, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the Reading Dragon. You can find Pauline, you can find Lady Punnett at L-I-N-K, sorry, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Paulina dot Avalon. And you can find me at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blazewing 2010. If you would like to leave us a voice message or you would like to check out our podcast feed, you can do so at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And you can find our website, which has all sorts of really cool stuff on it, at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. So, chapter 13 of the Amulet of Samarkand. We are still, from what I understand, <laughs> looking at Nathaniel's point of view. And mm-hmm. we realized that chapter 12 was a bit of a heavy topic, and we're hoping for something a little more lighthearted uh, this chapter. So, with that... At least one good funny, good funny moment. moment would be nice. That being said, mm-hmm. narrator, are you ready? Yep. Let's get this on the road. Please take it away. <sighs> The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand, by Jonathan Stroud. Narrated by The Reading Dragon. Voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blazewing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 13. Throughout the long, wet autumn, Nathaniel retreated to the garden whenever he could. When the weather was fine, he brought with him books from his master's shelves and devoured their contents with a remorseless hunger while the leaves rained down upon the stone seat and the lawn. On drizzly days, he sat and watched the dripping bushes, his thoughts circling to and fro on familiar paths of bitterness and revenge. He made swift He made swift progress with his studies, for his mind was fired with hate. All the rites of summoning, all the the incantations that a magician could bind around himself to prevent attack, all the words of power that smote the disobedient demon or dismissed it in a trice. Nathaniel read and committed these to memory. If he met with a difficult passage, perhaps written in Sumerian or Coptic, or hidden within a to- or hidden within a torturous runic cipher, and he felt his heart quail, he had only to glance up at the grey-green statue of Gladstone to recover his determination. Gladstone had avenged himself on anyone who wronged him. He had upheld his honour and was praised for it. Nathaniel planned to do the same, but he was no longer mastered by his impatience. For now, from now on, he used it only to spur himself on. 
if he had learned one painful lesson. It was not to act until he was truly ready. And through many long, solitary months, he worked tirelessly toward his first aim, the humiliation of Simon Lovelace. The history books that Nathaniel studied were full of countless episodes in which rival magicians had fought each other. Sometimes the more powerful mages had won, yet often they had been defeated by stealth or guile. Nathaniel had no intention of challenging his formidable enemy head-on, at least not until he had grown in strength. He would bring him down by other means. His proper lessons at this time were a tedious distraction. As soon as they had resumed, Nathaniel had immediately adopted a mask of obedience and, and, contrition, and contrition, designed to convince Arthur Underwood that his wicked act was now, for him, a matter of the utmost shame. This mask never slipped, even when he was put to the most wearisome and banal... Bana banal? Uh, banal. Um. And banal jobs in the workroom. If his master... Har Harangued? Harangued. <clears throat> If his master harangued him for some trifling error, Nathaniel did not allow so much as a flicker of discontent to cross his face. He simply bowed his head and hastened to repair the fault. He was outwardly the perfect apprentice, deferring to his master in every way and certainly never expressing any impatience with the snail's pace at which his studies now progressed. In truth, this was because Nathaniel did not regard Arthur Underwood as his true master any longer. His masters were the magicians of old, who spoke to him through their books, allowing him to learn at his own pace and offering ever-multiplying marvels for his mind. They did not patronize or betray him. Arthur Underwood had forfeited his right to Nathaniel's obedience and respect the moment he failed to shield him from Simon Lovelace's jibes and physical assaults. This, Nathaniel knew, simply was not done. Every apprentice was taught that their master was effectively their parent. He or she protected them until they were old enough to stand up for themselves. Arthur Underwood had failed to do this. He had stood by and watched Nathaniel's unjust humiliation first at the party, then in the schoolroom. Why? Because he was a coward and feared Lovelace's power. Worse than this, he had sacked Miss Lutians. From brief conversation with Mrs. Underwood, Nathaniel learned that while he had been suspended upside down, being beaten by Lovelace's imp, Miss Lutians had done her best to help him. Officially, she had been fired for insolence and impertinence, but it was hinted that she had actually tried to hit Mr. Lovelace and had only been restrained from doing so by his companions. When he thought about this, Nathaniel's blood boiled even more forcefully than when he considered his own humiliation. She had tried to protect him, 
And for doing this, for doing exactly what Mr. Underwood should have done, his master had dismissed her. This was something that Nathaniel could never forgive. With Miss Lutian gone, Mrs. Underwood was now the only person whose company gave Nathaniel any pleasure. Her fondness punctuated his days of studying and brought relief from his master's cold detachment and the difference and the indifference of his tutors. But he could not confide but he could not confide his plans to her. They were too dangerous. To be safe and strong, you had to be secret. A true magician kept his own counsel. After several months, Nathaniel set himself his first real test, the task of summoning a minor imp. There were risks involved, for although he was confident enough about the incantations, he neither owned a pair of contact lenses for observing the first three planes, nor had received his new official name. Both of these were due to appear on Underwood's say-so at the beginning of his coming of age. But Nathaniel could not wait for this far-off day. The spectacles from the workroom would help his vision. And for his name, he would not give the demon any opportunity to learn it. Nathaniel stole an old piece of bronze sheeting from his master's workroom and cut it, with great difficulty, into a rough disc. Over several weeks, he polished the disc and buffed it and polished it again until it sparkled in the candlelight and reflected his image without defect. Next, he waited until one weekend when both his master and Mrs. Underwood were away. No sooner had their car vanished down the street than Nathaniel set to work. He rolled back the carpet in his bedroom and on the bare floor and on the bare floorboards chalked two simple pentacles, sweating profusely despite the chill in the room. He drew the curtains and lit the candles. He placed a single bowl of rowan wood and hazel between the circles. Only one was required since the imp concerned mm, since the imp corner mm, concerned okay since the imp concerned was weak and timorous. When all was ready, Nathaniel took the polished bronze disc and set it in the center of the circle in which the demon was to appear. Then he placed the pentacle mm, then he placed the spectacles on his nose, put on a tattered lab coat he had found in the workroom door mm, he had found on the workroom door, and stepped into his circle to begin the incantation. Dry mouthed, he spoke the six syllables of the summoning and called out the creature's name. His voice cracked a little as he spoke and he wished that he had had the foresight to enclose a glass of water within his circle. He could not afford to mispronounce a word. He waited, counting under his breath the nine seconds that it would take for his voice to carry across the void to the other place. Then he counted the seven seconds that it would take for the creature to awaken to its name. Finally, he counted the three seconds that it would take for. A naked baby floated above the circle, moving its arms and legs as if it were swimming on the spot. It looked at him, it looked at him with sullen yellow eyes.
its small red lips pursed and blew an insolent bubble of spit. Nathaniel spoke the words of confinement. The baby gurgled with rage, frantically flapping its pudgy arms and its legs were drawn downward toward the shining bronze disc. The command was too strong. As if sucked suddenly down a drain, the baby elongated into a flow of color which spiraled down onto the disc. For an instant, its angry face could be seen squashing its nose up against the metal surface from below. Then, a misty sheen obscured it, and the disc was clear once more. Nathaniel uttered several charms to secure the disc and check for snares, but all was well. With shaking legs, he stepped from his circle. His first summons had been successful. The imprisoned imp was surly and impudent, but by applying a small spell that amounted to a brisk electric shock, Nathaniel could induce it to reveal true glimpses of things happening far away. It was able to report conversations it overheard as well as to reveal them visually in the disc. Nathaniel kept his crude but effective scrying glass hidden under the roof tiles outside the skylight, and with its aid learned many things. As a trial, he directed the imp to reveal what went on in his master's study. After a morning's observation, he discovered that Underwood spent most of his time on the telephone, attempting to keep abreast of political developments. He seemed to be paranoid that his enemies and Parliament were seeking his downfall. Nathaniel found this interesting in principle, but dull in the details, and soon left off spying on his master. Next, he observed Mrs. Lutiens from afar. The mist swirled across the disk, cleared, and with a quickening heart, Nathaniel glimpsed her again as he remembered her so well, smiling, working, and teaching. The disc's image faded. The disc's image shifted across to reveal a small gap-toothed boy apprentice, drawing furiously in a sketch pad, and evidently hanging on Mrs. Lutien's every word. Nathaniel's eyes burned hot with jealousy and grief. In a choked voice, he ordered the image to vanish, grinding his teeth at the laughter that bubbled up from the delighted imp. Nathaniel then turned his attention to his main objective. Late one evening, he ordered the imp to spy on Simon Lovelace, but was, disconcer but was disconcerted to see the baby's face appear in the burnished bronze instead. What are you doing? Nathaniel I've given cried. you the order. Now obey. The baby wrinkled its nose and spoke in a disconcertingly deep voice. Trouble it is. This one's tricky, isn't it? It said. He's got barriers up. Not sure I can pass him. Might set off a spot of bother if you know what I mean. Nathaniel raised a hand and waved it menacingly. Are you saying it's impossible? The baby winced 
and extended a pointed tongue gingerly out of the side of its mouth, as if licking old wounds. Not impossible, no. Just difficult. Well, the baby sighed heavily and vanished. After a short pause, a flickering image began to form in the disk. It blurred and leaped like a badly tuned television. Nathaniel cursed. He was about to speak the words of the punitive jab when he considered that this was probably the best the imp could do. He bent close to the disk and gazed into it, focusing on the scene within. A man was sitting at a table, typing rapidly into a laptop computer. Nathaniel's eyes narrowed. It was Simon Lovelace, all right. The imp's vantage point was from the ceiling, and Nathaniel had a good view of the room behind the magician, although it was, although it was a little distorted, as if seen through a fisheye lens. The room was in shadow. The only light came from a lamp on Lovelace's desk. In the background was a set of dark curtains, stretching from ceiling to floor. The magician typed. He wore a dinner jacket, with the tie hanging loose. Once or twice, he scratched his nose. Suddenly, the baby's face cut in. Where's the baby? Can't take much more of this. Oh, here we go. Can't take much more of this. It sniffed. I'm bored, and then, like I say, if we stick around too long, there could be trouble. You'll stick with it till I say so. Nathaniel snarled. He spoke a syllable, and the baby scrunched up its eyes with pain. All right, all right. How could you do that to a wee baby, you monster? The face flicked out, and the scene reappeared. Lovelace was still seated, still typing. Nathaniel wished he could get a closer look at the papers on his desk, but magicians often had sensors on their person to detect unexpected magic in their vicinity. It would not be wise to stray too near. This was as good a view as he was going to... Nathaniel jumped. Someone else was in Simon Lovelace's room, standing in the shadows by the curtains. Nathaniel had not seen him enter, and nor, for that matter, had the magician, who was still typing away with his back to the intruder. The figure was a tall, massively built man, swathed in a long leather traveling cape that extended almost to the bottom of his boots. Both cape and boots were heavily stained with mud and wear. A thick black beard covered most of the man's face. Above it, his eyes glinted in the darkness. Something about the look of them made Nathaniel's skin crawl. Evidently, the figure now spoke or made a noise, for Simon Lovelace suddenly started and wheeled around in his chair. The image flickered, faded, reappeared again, Nathaniel cursed and pressed his face closer to the disc. It was as if the picture had jumped forward a moment or two in time. The two men were closer now. The intruder had moved to stand beside the desk. Simon Lovelace was talking to him eagerly. He held out his hand 
but the strange but the stranger merely inclined his head toward the desk. The magician nodded, opened a drawer, and, pulling out a cloth bag, emptied it upon the desktop. Bundles of banknotes oh, bundles of banknotes spilled forth. The bronze disc emitted a throaty voice, which spoke urgently. Just thought I'd warn you, please don't jab me again, but there's a kind, there's some kind of watcher coming, two rooms away, heading in our direction. We need to pull out, boss, and do it swiftish. Nathaniel, bit Stay where you are until the very last moment. I want to see what he's paying for and memorize the conversation. It's your funeral, boss. The stranger had extended a gloved hand from under his cape and was slowly replacing the banknotes inside the bag. Nathaniel was nearly hoping Nathaniel was nearly hopping with frustration. At any moment the imp would leave the scene and he would be none the wiser. Fortun fortunately, his impatience was shared by Simon Lovelace, who held out his hand again more decisively this time. The stranger nodded. He reached inside his cape and drew forth a small packet. The magician snatched it and feverishly tore the wrapping apart. The imp's voice sounded. Imp. It's at the door! We're pulling out! Dragon! <laughs> Be mature! This is a children's book! Don't you start either, Blazewing. I can see you're trying to hide a laugh. I'm not laughing. I never said a word. This <laughs> is a... Ch this, this is a children's I book? I you, this podcast is rated 18 plus. We are still reading a children's book. Technically, it would be considered young adult novel. Because of the language used in this. At which point, there's already this. things they know. There's things they already know, so... Anyways. Anywho. Nathaniel just had time to see his enemy reach into the wrapping and draw forth something that sparkled in the lamplight. Then, the disc was wiped clean. He uttered a terse command, and the baby's face reluctantly appeared. Ain't that all? I need a bit of shut-eye now, I can tell you. Oh, wow, that was a close one. We so nearly got fried. What did they say? Well, now, what did they say? I might have heard scratches. Won't say I didn't. Just my hearing's not what it was. What with the long confinement. Just tell me. Big fella didn't say anything. Did you see those red stains on his cape? Incident. Incidentally, very suspicious. Not ketchup. Let's put it that way. Fresh too. I could smell it. What did he say now? I have it. That was one thing. And I want my payment for Man, a few words, I'd call him. By that crude remark, I assume you mean a noble entity... 
from the other place? Nope. Uh, Man. What did the magician say? He was... <clears throat> yeah. He was a bit more forthcoming. Quite knowledgeable, in fact. Do you have it? That's how he began. Then he said, How did you? No, I don't want to know the details. Just give it to me. He was all breathless and eager. Then he got the what cash was, out. What was the object? Did either, either of them say? Don't know what I recall. Oh, no, wait, wait. You don't need to get nasty with me. I'm doing what you asked, ain't I? When the big guy handed over the package, what? he said something. So quiet. What did Almost he say? Almost didn't catch it. He said, The amulet of Samarkand is yours, Lovelace. That's what he said. It took Nathaniel almost another six months before he felt himself to be ready. He mastered new areas of his craft, learned new and greater commands, and went swimming every morning before lessons to increase his stamina. By these means, he grew strong in body and mind. Ooh, good for you. Never again was he able to spy directly on his enemy. Whether or, not his whether or not its presence had been detected, the imp was unable to get close again. No matter. Nathaniel had the information that he needed. He sat in the garden as spring turned into summer, devising and refining his plan. It pleased him. It had the merit of simplicity and an even greater one in that nobody in all the world guessed at his power. His master was only just ordering his lenses now. He had spoken absently of perhaps trying out a basic summons in the winter. He had spoken absently of perhaps trying out a basic summons in the winter. To his master, his tutors, even to Mrs. Underwood, he was an apprentice of no great talent. This would remain the case while he stole Simon Lovelace's amulet. The theft was only the beginning, a test of his own power. After that, if all went well, he would set his trap. All that remained was to find himself a servant who could do what he required something powerful and resourceful, enough to carry out his plan, but not so potent that it would threaten Nathaniel himself. The time for mastering the great entities was not yet here. He read through his master's works of demonology. He studied track records through the ages. He read about the lesser servants of Solomon and Ptolemy. Finally, he chose... Bartimaeus. And thus ends chapter 13 of the Amulet of Samarkand. Now we know the whole backstory of how Bartimaeus got into this bullshit in the first so, place. Nathaniel is now bitter and cold. And he's using his rage mm -hmm. and bitterness to fuel him, which, good on him, he's learning how to channel that. Yep. He's learned he's patience. Absolutely learned uh -huh. patience. Um, he recognizes that Underwood isn't capable of the task of raising him. He realizes, mm -hmm. he understands that Underwood is 
not somebody who should be in charge of him, and he has basically dismissed him. He's placating him, but he's actually going outside of Underwood's means in order to educate himself, which means he's seeking higher education at his own peril, and uh, of his own mm -hmm. free will, which is amazing. Mm. Other question yep. that I had. Are we seeing the birth of a potential villain? Mm -hmm. I think it would either be a villain or very possibly, depending on his motivations later on life, a morally gray. Oh, oh wait, no. So do you guys watch on TikTok? Uh, this would be like if I was the assistant of the morally gay gray villain. Oh yeah, I've seen that one. I think he's on his way to become the morally grave. Mm -hmm. Like he's a villain by the standards of society, but he's not actually yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. I don't know. He's just been through a lot of shit and he stopped yep. taking it. Anything else? Any other notes? That uh... kind of that whole um, basically what Nathaniel is doing. He's entered his villain arc before it became a That's, trend. Okay, fair. I'll take. I'll, I'll. I'll take that. Fair. fair. <laughs> I think. Also, what we're seeing with Nathaniel. Okay, first of all, he's hiding this from everybody that he's actually more advanced than he actually is. As we've seen with the fact that he's able to summon like lesser demons, and then later Bartimaeus. Ferret mm -hmm. says. You are a bad guy, but this does not mean you are a bad guy. And I probably botched you are that bad, accent. You are a bad guy, sorry. but this does not mean you are a bad guy. There you go. Yeah, I think with uh, Nathaniel that the fact that he's able to hide this so well is good. However, it also makes me wonder because eventually, most likely, he's gonna have to like summon. Because in the previous chapter, like, not the previous, but the previous, previous chapter, we read about how, oh, his master wants him to summon, like, a, a, a lesser demon. Mm -hmm. He can go the belt bell one of two ways. He can either summon it perfectly, like he's been shown to do, mm -hmm. or he has to be really nervous and, like, semi-uncomplained about it. it up on purpose, in which case he's going to... That would actually help his cover a bit, because mm -hmm. it's show it's said that... He's an apprentice of no great talent, or an apprentice of no talent. Mm -hmm. um, purposely fucking it up would be an amazing misdirect at this point. It would help keep his cover. Oh, yeah. That would be really good. Also, this kind of um, puts in the implication... Because there was mention of spells and magics that surround the individual, like, on their person, to help them detect when there is foreign entities in the vicinity. Who's to say that with how things have been going in being able to pull off, not coming off as actually as powerful as he really is? What if he was able to discover and utilize magics to help with his masking? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Because while, um, as someone who is neurodivergent and having to learn to mask and whatnot, 
certain uh, some people can mask so well that they deserve a fucking Oscar in real life if life was all but a physical stage. Um, in this book, yes, it is being, there are a lot of things being pointed out looking at it in today's perspective that Nathaniel is neurodivergent. He is able to mask. However, there's only so much that he can actually do in terms of how well he can mask. So what if he's getting some magic assistance with hmm. that? Because you also have to be able to hide your abilities from those that can sense yeah. or see yeah. on the other planes your aura and your uh, how powerful your magical aura is. Oh, that that is a good point. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so he probably had to figure out some way to really hide that. Which we don't know what that is yet. So mm -hmm. fascinating. Unless he was able to summon another imp. Because he'd been practicing on on a mm -hmm. demon summoning throughout the last six throughout these last six months to a year before he even got well, to Bartimaeus. Summoning an imp to help him hide his abilities and his magical prowess and his aura. That imp may, there's a very good possibility that imp may have to stick around, which means somebody's going to see that imp and be like, dude, the fuck. Mm -hmm. Unless the imp that he summoned or the demon that he summoned is powerful enough to hide themselves on top of hiding him. I haven't him. seen Bartimaeus's second task yet. Mm -mm. Well, that's because we haven't gone up there and he's being all, I know your name. Mm-hmm. Mel gloaty about it, and Nathaniel was like, uh, yeah. fudge. Yep. So not only yep. did he fuck up with Simon Lovelace, let his anger get the best of him, but now he's fucked up with Bartimaeus. On the eve of his... I would like to point out that that's... It's hmm. not fully his fault. On the eve of yep. his naming, pretty much, because he's going to be getting his name pretty soon and his contact lenses. His master is not going to be happy. Huh? I'm uh, So I kind of want to say that Bartimaeus is going to pull some shit during his naming ceremony. Probably. If he can, if he's not, like, dismissed. Which we don't know yet. We'll probably find out in Chapter 14, because Chapter 14 is the end of Part 1. Mm-hmm. And, at least for me, it's only 10 pages. So, I feel like we could actually squeeze it in if we take a, um... Because it's 35 minutes after mm -hmm. right now. So, do we want to just take a 10 minute break? Sure. Come back at a quarter till? I mean, we could. Um, let's close out the episode. My car, my ride's. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Lady Punnett. Well, my car's not going to be here. My ride's not going to be here till closer to four. So, let's so. close out the episode and then we can talk. So. We want to thank you for joining us for episode 29 of The Amulet of Samarkand, um, the first book in the Bartimaeus trilogy. We hope that you have enjoyed this discussion. Uh, this has been, what, chapter 13? If you would like to yep. follow us on socials, you can do so. You can find Lady Punnett at linktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. You can find The Reading Dragon at linktr.ee slash The Reading Dragon, and you can find myself at linktr.ee slash blazewing2010. 
If you would like to find our podcast feed and or leave us a voice message, you are more than welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook and our website can be found at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. For episode 29 and chapter 13 of the Amulet of Samarkand, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. For episode 30 and chapter 14.